So, this morning's title comes from the Mayor of London. As I was getting on the plane and sat down, I've taken the opportunity to buy the Telegraph. I'll try and read the Guardian and the Telegraph just to get a bit of balance. But uh, we're so right-wing, the Christians, you know, you need a little bit, a dose of left-wing, something or other, just to balance you up. And, um, amen, brother, comrade. Yes, who was that? <laughs> Keep the red flag flying high. He was that? I sense the vibe over there. There's a left-wing anointing over here. Oh, yes. And a right-wing anointing over here. Oh, come on. Yes, I can see my right-wing brothers over here. So. And... <laughs> So I'm sitting on the plane and I'm reading, uh, Boris uh, Johnson, the Mayor of London, writes a regular article in, in, the, uh, in the Telegraph and he's always a bit of a mixture, Boris, isn't he, of, of kind of sort of wacky things and interesting things and sometimes he gets it right and sometimes you think, oh, Boris, you know, <sighs> never mind. And <laughs> but he had this phrase, he said, breakthrough needs to become breakout. Now, you know, if there ever was a sermon title, that was one, isn't it? Breakthrough needs to become breakout. And he, of course, was referring to, you know, the Conservative Party's election victory. So, well, that was the breakthrough. Now we've got to have the breakout. What is it we're going to do? Just move this around there. What is it we're going to do with this victory? <laughs> What are we going to do with our victories? Victory is sometimes something that we we kind of assume we've got to work towards. But actually, we have victories already. Now, we know this theologically. You'll all be following me, won't we? Because Jesus won the ultimate victory on the cross for you and for me. So we live in a state of success already. We are victorious Victorious over sin, victorious over evil, victorious over the world, victorious over our circumstances, victorious over everything. Because Jesus won that victory. He disarmed, he took away the weapons of the enemy. He disarmed the enemy on the cross and he has won that victory for us. But how often do we live in that victory? And what I want to do with you this morning is we're going to go quickly through Luke chapter 4 kind of flip the order a little bit. I know that Tim has done chapter 5 one of our evenings, so get that podcast. But we're flipping back to chapter 4. If you didn't get chapter 5, you won't need to worry about this. You're still in chapter 4. And <laughs> but Jesus, you see, won all sorts of victories for you and me. And we can be in those victories or those breakthroughs in order that we also might break out. Now, a few weeks ago, I think it was an evening service, I was was declaring we're in a season of salvation. You want to say that with me? We're in a season of salvation. We have amazing breakthroughs already. You have. You are an amazing breakthrough. Just say to yourself, I am an amazing breakthrough. I am an amazing breakthrough. I am an amazing breakthrough. I'm not a Shiite Muslim, but it's quite a good... uh, They do it too much, but I quite like that. (sighs) Don't do it too much. (coughs) I'm not trying to beat the flesh, literally. But it's coming. Do the Americans do that? Is that when they sing their national anthem? Do they do that, the Americans? 
I'm looking at Rebecca, not that she's American, of course. <laughs> but you're closer to, you're closer, yeah. <laughs> David, don't make yourself laugh. <laughs> okay, Luke chapter 4. Let's quickly look at it. Just get some semblance of order. And in fact, come back out of your spirit. In fact, turn with me in your tablets to, to chapter 3. And I just want to just revisit a victory that Jesus received at his baptism. Chapter 3, verse 21 says, When all people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now we should get chapter 4 on the screen. So, David, thank you. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give, you, give it to anyone I want, I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Jerusalem, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began, to be, uh, began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. Be, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the uh, region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. 
All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up and at once began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's go home and have lunch. <laughs> Sometimes you just need the gospel. Don't you? Father, we just pray that you just release these words to us this morning. Father, they would have an impact on our lives way beyond what we can think or imagine. Well, we're excited that your word is a living word. That your word will transform us. That your word will transform not only today, but our whole week and our whole lives. Lord, we are just standing in awe in your presence. You have given us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Lord, we just say now let that word flow like a river through us. And touch us and transform us and our families. Lord, thank you for that lovely testimony. Uh, of a sister-in-law who gets saved. Father, do that again. Do that again. Father, we take that testimony. We say the word testimony means do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again. God's just releasing faith over us now. For our, I was going <laughs> to... This is one of my closing points. <coughs> Let's do it now. The Spirit of God's on it. Just reach into your family with your heart now, with your, your spiritual eyes and... You know the family members where you think, oh, I've just tried to live Jesus to them. I've prayed for them. They've done this, they've done that. And, and, and you know, it just seems an immovable mountain. Well, take hold of faith now. There's faith in the room. Just take hold of it. Say, I believe you can transform my family. Yeah. I believe you can transform my family. I believe that you can transform my family by your grace and by your power. Uh, Lord, just help me to love and take every opportunity 
every opportunity. Thank you, Father. Years and years and years, I got saved when I was 18, and neither of my sisters became Christians. And they seemed very resistant and very, uh, you know, immovable. Didn't want to know. Were always very defensive. You know, I had become a Christian. You don't need to become a Christian. You are just a Christian. That's okay. Because in their mentality, and my previous mentality was being a Christian just meant being a good person. So you don't have to become a... You're trying to be a good person, but it's quite offensive, you know, in the English culture at that time, to uh, demand that you become a Christian. You were a Christian. We've been to Sunday school after all, you know, for years and years. We'd soaked it in. We'd had our RE lessons at school. And uh, so on and so So I must be a Christian. I'm in a Christian country, uh, at least at that, at that time. And for years and years and years, my sisters were quite defensive. And then suddenly, we're a family do in a pub, and both sisters, on the same day, one of them turns around to me and says, people keep asking me, David, why you became a Christian? You know, this is like 20 years after I become a Christian. Don't you want to just take your young sister and go, ah, when she does something like that? <laughs> I love my sisters. And they, they try to love me. <laughs> God can just suddenly break through, can't he? And you don't know what you're laying into people's lives all that time. You don't know the victories that are being won and the breakthroughs that you have. This morning, uh, they're going to have an impact on people's lives. Actually, later in the day, my other sister, funnily enough, my other sister who didn't ask that question said, well, she joined the conversation. And not long after that, she got saved. <laughs> but it was years and years and years before that happened. And it's in those years of waiting that we need to have faith. And we need to be actually having victories that we're hardly aware of. So, one of our trips to Bethel, somebody gave me this prophecy. It was one of those, you know, you in the check shirt moments. You ever had that? Anybody, where's the check shirt? You in the check shirt. <laughs> and I had the, not, not, not a particular shirt, but, uh, which is New Frontiers Elders Standard Issue. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it may not be now, but it was then. And uh, she looked at me, and I don't know who she was. She says, you are a champion. You are a champion. I see you already winning victories in battles you don't even know you are fighting. Isn't that interesting? You are a champion. I want to pray this, uh, prophesy this over you this morning. You are champions. You are already winning victories in battles you don't even know you are fighting. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, don't we? We don't have to occupy our minds with that, with, with that battle in one sense. It's, it's raging. It's like, a, you know, Scripture tells us it's happening. But actually you, your responsibility is to make sure that you are living in the victory that Jesus has won for you. Amen? Come on! I'm happy. <laughs> Here's five things that we're going to draw out of the life of Jesus. Victories that he won for us. You see, even before the cross, Jesus was winning victories. Even coming to the earth was a victory. What he did in the wilderness was victory. What he did in his baptism, there's the first one. He won the victory of identity. 
This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You need to know that, don't you? In order for you to win victories in the future, in order for you to move from (coughs) breakthrough to breakout, you need to know who you are. You need to be utterly convinced that you are son and daughter of the king. You need to hear the voice of God just as clearly, may not be audibly, but just as clearly as Jesus. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Why do you get the well pleased bit on the end? Well, it's kind of easy for us sometimes to accept the status of children of God and not enjoy the freedom of the pleasure of God. God's so pleased with me. <laughs> Don't preach too loud, David. You'll, you'll get coughing. Can you say that? That's, that? That in its essence is the simplest thing. God is so pleased with me. He loves me just like he loves his son. Jesus had to pray that for us in John 17 because he knew that we wouldn't always grasp it. Or at least we would need to grow in that. He is so, so pleased with you, regardless of your works, regardless of your failures, regardless of your mistakes, even regardless of the good things you do. Because we always feel pleased. We know God's pleased with us often when we do good things. We need to know God's pleased with us, period. Absolutely. That is the wonderful grace of God, isn't he? He is totally pleased. How can he do that? I don't know. He's God. God is love, and God loves to love the unlovely. But not just unlovely, he's already made us righteous, and all those other things, isn't he, that we keep preaching about, and we'll continue to keep preaching about. That's your first victory. Your first victory is just knowing you're loved by God, that he is so, so pleased with you. Your second is this, and we get into the temptations really, we're Kind of looking, going to look at the temptations maybe in a little bit different, different way than we normally do. So, um, but here's the second victory. Jesus gets tempted, isn't he? You know, turn these stones into bread. He's been fasting for 40 days. Turn these stones into bread. And he, and he answers, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, which in Luke's gospel is a quite a shortened version of what you get in Matthew's gospel, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's an obvious one, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. But actually, if the only way to live is by by every word of God, you need to have a constant diet of the word of God, don't you? Guilt and shame comes over me already because I didn't read my Bible today. That's how sometimes the trap we've fallen into, isn't it? And it's good to read your Bible every day and it's good to hear God through the Bible. But the Bible talks about the many ways in which God speaks to us. He's available all the time. The transformation that we've gone through, the victory that we have won as a church together is that we have opened up our ears and realized that God wants to speak to us at any moment, at any time. And God used the prophetic ministry to, to, to do that for us and said, do you know? You can pray or prophesy over people at any time, at any place, and anyone. Woo! You mean outside of meetings? Yes. In the street? Yes. 
In the coffee bar, yes, depending on which one you frequent. No. <laughs> Even in Starbucks. Only in Starbucks. I know this is going on the internet, but we love Starbucks. Ooh. More lords. But especially in cost. No, 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 no. Is that the victory that you have? <laughs> this is not to bring condemnation. This is to say, you know, there's God speaking to you all the time. If that's not very helpful, forget it. <laughs> that may represent somebody else in your life that, you know. <laughs> but if it is helpful... Just think of the Holy Spirit. I love to think of the Holy Spirit like this. Well, either way it works. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you are, you are here now and you are speaking. You, you love to speak to me. You know, the Holy Spirit kind of wakes me up sometimes. David, you're not listening today. Oh, right. No, no, actually I'm not. I haven't really kind of tuned in. You don't need to do very much to tune in to the Holy Spirit. You just need to start talking to him. Say, well, Lord, what, what does he want to do today, Lord? What do you want to say to me or through me? You know, it's that, that's a victory, isn't it? When Jesus, you know, why Jesus didn't turn the stones into bread, who knows? All right, it's a bit of a mystery. But he used the opportunity to underline the fact that the way that we live, the way that we have breakthrough, the way that we live in victory is that we're constantly listening to God. Identity and revelation. You need both. Number three. You need worship. You need a victory of worship and intimacy. So the, uh, the devil shows, uh, shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Said, these are yours if you bow down and worship me. Jesus replies, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. There's a kind of breakthrough when you suddenly find you can be intimate with God wherever you are. And the victory, one of the victories of us as a church is we've learned how simply to be intimate with God. How to go to meetings and do nothing else but meet with God. You know what it's like as a leader, any kind of leader, and you're going to a meeting and you think, oh, they'll probably ask me to open in prayer or I've got a little word to bring or you know, I'm going to close in prayer or you know, I'll expect you to be ministering to people. When we started having meetings, you know, encounter evenings, and all you did was go to the meeting and just sit in the corner and encounter God. That was a victory moment. That was God breaking through into our consciousness and saying, it's okay just to be with me. But it must be for a reason, Lord. There must be some prophetic word that you... Well, there might be. But it's okay just to be with me. You don't know how liberate, well, you probably are. You do know how liberating that is, don't you? Because you have been schooled in the Christian way of meetings, 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 meetings. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the meeting. I am the resurrected meeting, even. Come to my meetings and receive bread at the meetings. Now, we love our meetings, providing they are fundamentally meetings with God. That's why we have a value here that when we worship, we, you know, 
we, we resist the temptation to start ministering to people in our, in our meetings because we want to just give it to God. We want to come before God. We want to encounter God. And out of encounters with God, we can do all the other stuff. There's no hurry in that sense in the Christian work, in the Christian life, is there? We're not lapsing into a passivity, <laughs> passivity, being passive. But we are determined to encounter, to worship him with all our hearts, with all our minds and all our strength. And we've had to come through that kind of, almost that revolution. Because actually meetings were originally, many of our meetings were set up with good purpose and good heart and good vision. But actually the genius of church life is know when to stop the meetings. <laughs> or to change the meetings. And that actually is quite a revolutionary thing, isn't it, in a, in a church? Because you're trying to change a whole mentality sometimes, or a whole community. Right, we'll have no more morning meetings. <laughs> Not suggesting we do that. But you know what I mean? It, it kind of, well, what's the meeting for? The meeting is primarily the meeting with God. But So get hold of that victory. If you feel you're lacking in a sense of intimacy with God then get in that intimacy with God, that's your victory. That's the platform that Jesus has provided for you. That's the victory that he won in the wilderness for you. So that you would be liberated into a life of worship, a life of, life of intimacy, a life of closeness with God. That's number three. Number four is the, life of, is the victory of faith. <coughs> If you're wondering where that happens, well, Jesus, sorry, the devil takes Jesus up to Jerusalem, stands him on the highest point of the temple, says, cast yourself here, you know, and the, the angels will come and uh, pick you up. And Jesus says these intriguing words. All these quotations, of course, are from Deuteronomy. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, the opposite of testing God is trusting God. But sometimes we take in that word, you know, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Well, I mustn't try anything out then. You know, I know God wants to heal, but I mustn't pray for somebody to be healed because that's like putting God to the test, isn't it? I mean, how do I know God wants to heal anybody right now? Because <laughs> it's his will. Oh, well, how do I know it's his will? Well, we, we worked all through that. But that's how we used to think. Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, sick person. Hmm. Is it, is it God's will? Is it, oh, uh, let, me, let me go and pray about that. You know, it was a victory when we realized that God wants to heal all the time. Because he is healing. Yeah, that's a victory. A corporate victory that we have as a church. And if you're new to the church, get into that corporate victory. That you are hearing God all the time, being intimate with him. And you are there to minister his healing to people at any time, whatever, you know, whatever time. So at least three people have prayed for me this morning. At least three. One, because I asked them. <laughs> and two, I was just spontaneously. That's a great church to be in, isn't it? <laughs> we came to Dennis and Margaret's barn dance here last night. I just thought, I felt like coming to the meeting. I feel, I feel better. There's nothing magical about our meeting, you know, our, our, our building in, as such. 
But this is a place of testimony. It's a place where people get healed. It's a place where cancers disappear. It's a great place to be, isn't it? It wouldn't be anything without the people and the Spirit of God. But actually, because the Spirit of God and the people come here regularly, there's something going on here. Something in the, in the atmosphere. Not to be discounted. And God is, you know, your, victory, your faith is your victory. Faith is your breakthrough. And if you are, as Jesus says, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. See, the, the, the directors here, we, we haven't got a league table of faith. I hope you know that. You know, some of you are down here and some of you are up here. And some of you are in the middle. Some of you need to get, get going a bit more. And you guys up here, you need to start a new league. <laughs> we don't have that. We just want to encourage you, encourage you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, encourage get down <laughs> wherever you are in your faith we want you to grow because the steps of faith that you're taking now are important for you now but they're also building for breakthrough for a breakout in the future yeah oh, faith why don't you put your hands out and just receive some now father we pray for an increase of faith to move mountains, to change circumstances. We believe, Lord, that you will change our nation through people of faith. Woo! There's a Hebrews faith anointing for you. Right? For you this morning. For you to grow, 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 grow in your faith. <laughs> Your faith in God. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is impossible for him. Just laying hold of faith this morning is a victory in itself. It's a breakthrough in itself. Be encouraged. I don't know how many times I've been disappointed and discouraged. So actually, disappointment and discouragement is not a problem. It doesn't have to destroy faith. In fact, it can almost be the very platform from which faith can be launched. Chris Valentin loves to say, isn't he, the dogs of doom wait at the doorway of destiny. I love that. Remember in my Sosa when I was crossing a bridge and the dogs were, uh, there were dogs sort of chained to the side of the bridge. They couldn't touch me and they were muzzled. And I kind of went over the bridge and slew the minotaur of jealousy. <laughs> And then I, I walked down and got on the horse of the Holy Spirit and charged off doing adventures in the Holy Spirit. Don't dwell on your disappointments. That can be defeatist, can't it? Anybody who ever did anything, really, in the Christian world in terms of faith, probably had mostly, you know, has had disappointments and discouragements in that particular area. devil's not omnipotent, but he does know a few things. <laughs> so he knows how to get at you. You know that. He knows your weaknesses. He knew Jesus' weaknesses, so he, or, or, you know, or potential weaknesses. He attacked him on his identity. He attacked him on his power. He attacked him on his relationship with the Father. <laughs> and the irony is that the very area of success that God's drawing you into is very often the area that he'll attack you on. So be encouraged. You're on the right track. Don't get dis defeated and disappointed because 
things don't seem to be going well in that particular area where you really feel God's called you to minister. It's a good sign. You're not inviting it. You're not welcoming it. That's not the point. God's just saying, now you can resist it. Now you know. It's almost like the devil trips up, doesn't he? Time and time again, he kind of almost alerts us to the purposes of God inadvertently. And we can get encouraged and we can get full of faith again. Right? Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. But a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. Choose which side of the verse you want to live in. You can choose. A tree, you know, a promise, uh, a longing fulfilled. That longing inside you is a tree of life. It's going to flourish. It's going to bear fruit. You've been called to bear fruit. Right? You are my disciples, Jesus said. And I'm calling you to bear fruit. Keep, you know, you need a bit of bearing. (laughs) You need to keep forbearing. You need to press in to all that God has for you. You are seated in on these seats today because people pressed in on the promises of God. Yep, this is a testimony of what God can do. And you can soak it up from the seat now. I don't know what's going on there, but... (laughs) Draw on that. Whoa. You're warriors of faith. Come on, who wants to be a warrior of faith? It's a good... Right? Warriors get strong because they mix with other warriors. They do their training with other ones. They get, you know... (laughs) When I'm not seeing people healed, I draw strength from the people who are seeing it. I'd love to be jealous of them, but God dealt with that in my life. That minotaur... (laughs) I took the sword out in the Sozo session, took his head off. <laughs> I thought it was really clever, actually. You can do whatever you like in Sozo sessions. <laughs> Get on that horse, come on! <laughs> Donna and Christine, I'm sorry if I give them too much freedom in the Sozo session. And the fifth victory, in a sense, is wrapped up in what Jesus says when he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the Lord, that the year of the Lord's favor. Now, hang in on that, on that pause. Jesus is actually pausing here. He's not completing the verse. If you go back to Isaiah 61, the following verse goes out and, and declaring the, the year of the Lord's vengeance. And actually, if you were a Jewish person in the synagogue at that time, you'd be waiting for that verse. Because if you were in the, you know, the synagogue of Nazareth, which was actually a highly, highly nationalistic town, had a reputation for its, you know, um, uh, uh, its opposition to the Roman occupation. It's almost like the rebels all came to, to Nazareth. They congregated there. And they loved to read verses, you know, of condemnation to the Gentiles. That there was a day of vengeance coming. In fact, when the Messiah came, he would sort those Romans out. He would sort out the Gentiles. He would bring about justice to all the injustices that the Jewish people particularly had 
enacted against them. So when Jesus actually says, I've come to declare, the, you know, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, there would have been, and? And? Vengeance. They wanted to hear the vengeance. They wanted to hear the judgment. Now, of course, there is judgment. There is judgment on the day of the Lord's. Jesus will return, as we know. There will be a judgment day. There will be a dividing of the sheep and goats. There will be a heaven and a hell. But in the meantime, it's favor. The victory that we have to live in is this is a time of good news. This is a time of favor. This is a time where God is smiling on the world and saying, come on, I love you. I love you. And I want you to know that love. I want you to know the goodness of God. The fifth victory that you have to have in your life is your total knowledge that God is good. And one of the reasons Jesus is emphasizing that, you know, is, uh, or, or, you know, being very cleverly, he does other things in this passage as well, but very cleverly he stopped there and said, okay, the Messiah has come. The scripture has been fulfilled, as he says later on. And this is now a day of favor. When we got prophesied over to come to Gravesend, I think the word favor came at least five times in that prophetic session. This is a time of favor, a time of favor. Sometimes I wonder whether that was true. But now I know it's true. We're here in this kind of, I, I couldn't have written my own history. God is good, isn't he? You got those victories? You got a victory of identity, a victory around revelation and hearing God, a victory around, lost the list, worship and intimacy, a victory around faith, a victory around the goodness of God. These victories are preparing you for breakout. What happens with Jesus when he comes out of the synagogue, they miraculously, almost it's like parting the waters, isn't it? They want to throw him over a cliff. His first, well, not quite his first sermon, but his first recorded sermon. And he wanted a frame, very encouraging for any budding preachers, right? <laughs> Your first recorded sermon, if people want to throw you over the cliff, well done. <laughs> probably in our culture, nobody's going to tell you they want to throw you over the cliff, but you probably had an impact. <laughs> Jesus walks through the crowds. And then he goes, he does a number of things, and he? he goes and uh, uh, he casts, out, <coughs> it's recorded in that chapter, casts out a demon. Heals Simon's mother-in-law and then goes preaching and, says, and talks about the urgency of what he's preaching. Here's three areas I want you to grasp as part of, if you have those five breakthrough areas, and it's not like you need, you know, it's not like a jigsaw puzzle, you need absolutely everything, and it's not about being perfect in, those, in, in any of those areas particularly, but pursuing all those areas, you have already won victories. You are a victory. You're a walking, talking, living, speaking, victorious Christian already. And you haven't even done anything. But God wants you to move, and he wants us as a church to move from breakthrough to breakout. You ready for these three areas? If you're ready, just stand with me. You see, I think the first area where Jesus starts casting out the demons... Is all those situations you think, that's impossible. I can't imagine that person becoming a Christian. I can't imagine that person getting healed. I can't imagine that situation changing. 
The second area is your family. Isn't it interesting and loving and beautiful that Peter says, can you come and heal my mother-in-law? Some of you might want your mother-in-law healed. (laughs) Sorry, terrible macho joke. You want to see breakout in your family, don't you? And God didn't plan this this morning. But we have that testimony of a family, you know, a family member getting saved. That's just God confirming to you, if, in case you weren't listening, that God wants to do something in your family. And then Jesus said, I've got to go, you know, to, you know I, I have an urgency about this. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. For me, that speaks of opportunity. Wherever you go, Not that sort of driven, oh, I must, must, must get on and do this. But God's going to open opportunities. God's making it easy. God's opening doors for you. Where you work, where you live, God's suddenly going to open. You know, I went to get my hair cut yesterday. Nearly didn't make it. Nearly threw up in the street. Got to to the barbers. The guy there we've known since he was 18. He's a refugee from uh, Kurdish Kurdish Iraq. And uh, end up, no specific conversation about Jesus, but he, he asked about the church, and then we fixed up to have dinner with his wife and his two little kids. Whoa! I don't know how many times I've been at barbers. Well, as you can see, I go regularly. And, <laughs> and then suddenly a door opens. And I'm thinking, Lord, I need a word of knowledge, I need a prophecy. God, something about the barbers, he just doesn't even know happen. God's just opened up a house and a family for us to reconnect with. This guy actually came to the Rambaboo meetings, if any of you remember those, you know, in the early days. Just got contacted on the street, came to that meeting. Uh, even now, talks about coming round to our house at Christmas when he was a young man. He's now grown up, family, you know, and uh, just invite. Wonderful, isn't it? God's going to give you opportunities. So are you ready? Father, we want to move from breakthrough to breakout. We want to make a declaration this morning. That, Lord, we are moving from breakthrough to breakout. You want to say that with me? Lord, I'm making a declaration this morning that we are moving from breakthrough to breakout. Now, Lord, we pray now for all the difficult people that we know. (laughs) Not in the church, of course. (laughs) And we declare, Lord, you can save them. You can bring them into your kingdom. You heal the sick, raise the dead and cast out the demons. And Lord, we declare over our families, our lovely, dear families who we love to come to know Jesus. We say, Father, Father, touch their hearts now. Do what you did for Val's family. For Val's sister-in-law, we say, do it again, Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that every opportunity, we, we pray for opportunities galore. Lord, this crowd of people will move a mountain, change a community, indeed change a nation and nations. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Bless you.